We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. What up, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and I'm joined today with my co-host, the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, we've got a loaded episode today. Action-packed today. We have J. Michael joining us. He is dropping some uh, some very uh, insightful information that you're not going to want to miss. And it's, it's getting me excited about uh, the next head coach because we're diving into everything that went wrong with our last head coach, Nate Bjorkring. Yeah, we talk about a lot of things, just the craziness of this year, what the Pacers could do moving forward, the head coaching search when he anticipates a a decision being made. We talk about the NBA draft, TJ Warren, Aaron Holiday, anybody you think we should talk about, we pretty much talk about it. So it's going to be a fun episode. Let's not waste any time. We'll get out of the way and get right to our conversation with J. Mike. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Joining us now on the line is Jay Michael from the Indy Star. Jay, how's it going, man? It's been going pretty good, uh, I guess, considering. Um, so, 
not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Better. I, I always say this better than the Pacers are doing right now. It seems like <laughs> that's <cheers>. true. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's get right into it. So obviously we had the firing of Bjorkman last week, and I think a lot of Pacer fans were anticipating this firing. One of the things that I was interested by was, you know, some of the reporting that came out that, you know, the Pacers might be interested or Kevin Pritchard might be more interested in rebuilding than, than trying to win. And there was, I think it was in the Woj report saying something along the lines of, you know, they might have retained Bjorkren if they were wanting to go in a rebuild mode. It, is that any, any way true? I mean, does Kevin Pritchard in your mind or from what you've heard kind of want to rebuild instead of keep running it back? I think what I had in my report last week suggested that it's basically going to be up to Herb Simon on um, what direction they go. But I think Kevin is more inclined to um, – he, he's really open to the idea of tearing this thing down or making some significant moves, um, maybe taking another step back in order to go a few steps forward. Uh, he's more uh, on that side of it than, than Herb Simon. But it would require Herb to say, okay, let's go ahead and do this. Um, you know, it's like a lot of things, you know, it depends on, you know, you go to a lot of teams in the league and, you know, you hear people make comparisons Well, this team did this and see the Pacers aren't have enough courage to do this. That GM Pritchard or whomever doesn't have the courage. Well, it's not necessarily that they may want to do it, but if the guy who ultimately signs the checks doesn't want to do it, then it's not going to be done. And I think that's the position the Pacers are in. But yeah, if you told me that Kevin Pritchard, it was his call. Uh, whether or not to shake this team up or not and make some significant moves, I say the answer would be yes, uh, undoubtedly yes. Um, so, yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I, I think that's what would happen. Whether Bjorkman being retained, if they went that direction, um, I don't believe that would have happened. Um, I, think that's, I think that's been put on in favor of Bjorkman's agent uh, to make him look better. Uh, and be honest. I mean, I don't know that for a fact that that's not true, but based off of what I do know that is true, there is absolutely no way they could have run that back. Had those guys come back to training camp and have Bjorkman with the guy blowing the whistle to convene them, there's no way that would have happened. That would have basically been a move where you stay with Bjorkman and you fire him two weeks into the season, and then you're really behind. Um, so that that's what I hit. The relationships, not just with players, but with people around the organization. So he didn't just piss off players. You're talking about support staff that, that he did not treat well, uh, that they were all uh, upset with him for different reasons about different things. There's no way they could have run it back with him. That's impossible. I just cannot imagine a scenario scenario where they ran it back. I feel like it would have been kind of a dark cloud hanging around the team, the fan base and everything, almost waiting until that firing happens. And that, that definitely would have set the team back. But in the article that, you know, you published at, uh, Pritchard also mentioned that he's going to consult a few, a few of the players on the next hire, but not sure to what extent. Now, which players do you think in specific he would consult? I don't think he's consulting anybody. Um, you know, that's a slippery slope to go down. Uh, it is. Some of these players that you have may not be on your team when this is all said and done. So why would you consult guys when, let's face it, is there anybody on the team that you would consider untradeable? No. no. <laughs> so – um, the, the, the biggest problem, I mean, he said he would, he, he talked to and listened to certain guys if they wanted to, you know, uh, you know, throw their hat in the ring and say, look, this is what I would like in a coach. But I don't think he's going to make his decision based on what those players want because players want, uh, you know, they didn't want Nate McMillan. 
And so you got rid of Nate McMillan. Uh, you gave him somebody that was supposed to be the anti or the opposite of Nate McMillan. Uh, it becomes a question of now that you've taken McMillan out of the, the, of the variable away from the team. Now, even though you may not have hired the right coach to replace him, which is a completely different topic, it does bring into question the things that you heard Pritchard say post series, uh, a postseason about needing leadership in the locker room. Um, and it's kind of funny. I posed this question to somebody uh, probably in about January or February. I says, I don't think you guys have the right, based off what I was being told back then, I was like, now that you've changed the coach, you have certain personality issues still there. And, and Oladipo is now gone. And Oladipo wasn't, wasn't the best teammate in that locker room either. So now you have no Nate, no Oladipo, a lot of the same stuff. Uh, and it kind of, you know, begs the question, uh, okay, you change coaches, may not be the right coach, but the way your players are responding suggests you may not have the right players either. And so if you believe that you may need to change significantly some chunks of that roster, um, why are you going to make a decision based on what they, what they feel? Because let's face it, if you're Kevin Pritchard, your job depends on this next hire. It really depends on this next hire. Okay, so you're making that call based on what you think and what you feel, or maybe what you know, not based on the whim of a player who may or may not be there in the long run. Yeah, and I think those are all great points. And, you know, going back a little bit to the Bjorkman era and, and his coaching staff, I know that he had a hard time assembling an assistant coaching staff, but I got a two-part question for you here. Number one, how was the player relationships with the assistant coaches? And number two, uh, I guess based on that answer, do you anticipate any of those assistants getting an interview for the head coaching job or vacancy here for the Pacers? I don't anticipate any of that. The latter part of your question, I don't mm -hmm. anticipate that at all. Um, you know, could happen, I guess, you know, I mean, they will talk to their share of people, but uh, I just don't anticipate that. As a matter of fact, the, the, the one report that I had back in March going into the trade deadline is at a minimum uh, that assistant coaching staff was, staff was going to be shaken up uh, if Bjorken was to find a way to, you know, if the Pacers maybe would have finished a little bit stronger, made the playoffs, maybe won a game or two, um, they come back with Bjorkman, then, uh, you know, and he's able to kind of calm that storm, uh, that regardless, at a minimum, they were going to shake up that staff. And I, I had that from multiple people who knew what was going on with that, with that staff. Um, the staff just wasn't strong enough. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why the staff wasn't strong enough is they couldn't get uh, a better staff to surround him with because nobody was willing to come to Indiana to coach under Bjorkman. Um, that's because, A, he didn't have relationships around the league with enough people to make somebody want to do that. Uh, he didn't have enough respect around the league uh, to, you know, if, if you were on assistant coaching staff, and I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, like, you know, um, Denver or someplace like that, or Phoenix or Portland, why are you going to leave a job that you have some guarantees that you, you know, you have multiple years on your deal left to come coach for a guy who you barely know maybe haven't heard the best things about anyway, and he's only got two years guaranteed on his deal. So they just couldn't get the kind of guys that you needed to, to put on the staff. So knowing that, uh, no, they, they don't have – they basically felt like they had a, a skeleton staff when you get down to it. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and look, they, th those guys, they were being – they were as upset as I had my March report uh, not being able to do their jobs either, uh, they clash with Bjorkman too 
I mean, everybody. I mean, so you're talking about the players weren't happy. The coaches, assistant coaches weren't happy under Bjorkren. There was support staff around that was not happy with Bjorkren. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it was the play, I think it was the play-in game. It might have been another game, but it may have been the play-in game against Washington where somebody, um, someone told me that they were astounded with what they saw, how Bjorkren treated the staff when they, when they were, I think they were in D.C., uh, so someone in DC told me they were astounded to see how the way they treated he treated staff. Um, that w- that was just somebody coming at me, um, uh, who who contacted me when I was having a conversation, and that just came up and told yeah. me about certain things that 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 was witnessed. So, yeah, I, I think with this with this thing, you got to just pull up this tree by the root and start over. I don't I start over. I don't know if you can leave any remnants uh, of, of what you just had in this past season because. That tree was poisoned from the root. I truly do not know who would return back on, on that staff. So I, I completely, you know, hear where you're coming from. But, you know, injuries are always going to happen. It's part of the game. But say this wasn't a pandemic year and the schedule was a bit more normal. Do you think things could have worked out a bit differently? Or is this just kind of, hey, this is just who Bjorkren is and it proved to be a bit overmatched in his first NBA head coaching job? I think it's more the latter than the former. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you have, you know, for a guy – Going into going into this season, knowing what we know now about what the season was like, you had to really have a guy who was experienced, who 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 really had good relationships. It would have been ideal to have a, a coach who already had relationships with some of these players from you know previous stops, um, because it could have helped maybe overcome some of those those rough spots. Um, so I think no doubt Bjorken's inexperience was part of it. Right. Uh, but given that, you you know, you didn't have a chance to have the team dinners and hang out with each other in the same way, communicate in the same way that you would in a normal season, that made it tougher on Bjorkman. But I believe given what his strengths and weaknesses were as a coach, I don't really think that matters that all of a sudden some of these relationships are healed because you have, uh, you know, I think you are what you are. Um, and, you know, maybe this situation made it made it ramp up a little bit sooner. Maybe it, it went off the rails a little bit quicker. Um, but I think that was more of the issue. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I've been going back and forth, you know, I was going back and forth with people for a while, um, you know, who, you know, I would get readers, people would email me and say, well, it's the injuries, it's the injuries, it's the injuries. Like, no, it's not the injuries. Um, they have a lot. Every team in the league has injuries and some significantly so too. I mean, there's a lot of teams that I think underperform because of the schedule and because of injuries, not just the Pacers. So it doesn't, you know, you're not all of a sudden special because it happened to you. It happened to other teams too. Uh, what I looked at was things like effort, communication. These guys didn't care uh, about playing for one another at all, at all. And, you know, I, I knew that, I, I knew that probably when we got into March that that was really starting to show. Uh, then when I did my kind of piece after Bjorken got fired and I got into a little bit more detail and I talked to even more people, it was even worse than I thought. Um, uh, the word that was used to me is that they were a selfish group, did not play for each other at all. Uh, and really, um, and I think Bjorken was the head of that snake. And because they didn't respect him uh, and they didn't appreciate or respect where he was taking the team, some guys... Uh, uh, just decided, well, I'm going to get mine and uh, do what I want. And of course, Bjorkren lost a lot of respect when that happened. 
he didn't check the right, the people who were doing that. He didn't check them at all. And the biggest culprit in all of that was Demonis Sabonis. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, and I think one thing you brought up that's really interesting too is, you know, your your source in Washington saying how how poorly he treated his staff at that play-in game, if that was the game. Kind of surprising that because that's after all the reports came out too. So it's like, you know, you think he'd be on his best behavior trying to save his job. And if he was acting that way, it's just, it's kind of hard to figure out. So let's, let's go into that a little bit, because one of the things I noticed was, you know, Kevin Pritchard moving close to the bench in the middle of the season. (laughs) And I just find it odd, you know, him cheering for the guys after, after home games, you know, when they're competing and whatever, but just, it's really odd to see a team president sitting that close to the bench in the middle of the season. Can you kind of elaborate on that and kind of elaborate a little bit more on Sabonis and, some of the guys that were just, you know, not engaged and a little bit selfish. Well, I mean, Kevin knew everything was going haywire with that group. Um, and th- there was just a lot of, you know, one of the things that I did have in that report is Pritchard had to go into that locker room on at least four occasions and lay into those guys. Um, I think when you saw Pritchard there uh, on the sideline doing what he was doing, um, he knew where things had been were heading or what was happening. Uh, and he went into that locker room twice. It was post-game for some bad performances. And two other times it was pre-game. Uh, after they were, I think they had come off the road after getting stomped. And then their next game was at home. And so he went in there pre-game um, to, to, to uh, address the team. Uh, he's never, you know, I, I checked the He has never had to go into the locker room to address the team since he's been in Indiana at any point. He did it four times in this season alone, which kind of gives you an indication of how dysfunctional everything was, was at that point. Um, uh, so it was, a ne- and that also shows that Bjorkren didn't have control of his roster, that you needed the president down there basically to help do the job, uh, to keep guys in line, because the head coach and the coaching staff wasn't able to do it. Um, and he needed to give them positive reinforcement uh, that I think those players felt that they were lacking uh, throughout the season. The second part of your question was about Sabonis, was it not? Yeah, just talking about him, and I, I believe your report said, you know, how him and Brogdon were being treated special, and then they kind of, you know, the players turned on the coaching staff after they were getting special treatment, and then, you know, those players kind of got frustrated with everything towards the end. So I don't I don't know if it's just Sabonis that was – necessarily the one that was being super selfish, like you just mentioned, but uh, maybe Brogdon was as well. Sabonis was by far the number one guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, you know, <laughs> every time I point out what Sabonis doesn't do well, um, you know, there's always that group of people that comes up and recites his stats. Uh, but if you actually look at the, the games and see how they were played, that he got his numbers while, you know, playing longer minutes than he should have because they were getting the doors blown off. Um, you know, stat stuff in isolating when he didn't need to isolate against superior defenders, uh, over dribbling, that kind of stuff. And then you see the players around him get disengaged and either they're not ready to catch and shoot uh, or they don't want to. They just like, go ahead, take it. You want to you wanna do it? Do it all yourself. Do it all yourself. And it, it really becomes a chicken and egg thing sometimes. Like, is it because those guys aren't doing what they're supposed to do? So Sabonis is like, I'll take over. Or is it the other way around? Um, I think it was more Demonis de over dribbling and in controlling the ball so much, and Bjorkren would not 
you know, address him at all for what, you know, he would get on other guys for what they weren't doing well or what they weren't doing right. But I, I thought, I always go back to the first time they played Utah and it was in Utah. And um, the game I think was close or competitive in the first half, maybe first two and a half quarters. And then Utah just blows them away. And the, to me, the whole key to that whole game was Sabonis was making some ridiculous isolation post-up attempts against Rudy Gobert that had no prayer. And the team just kind of mentally checked out. And I asked Bjorkman post-game, was that the plan? Did, was he okay with that? And he said, oh, yeah, I like that Demonis getting in there, digging a shoulder in to go back. It was like one of those answers that I didn't expect. You know, you don't have to kill your player when you're asked a question, but you could say, yeah, we needed to play smarter uh, and attack in a different way, get that guy moving side to side and then try to go at him. Isolating him probably wasn't the best idea, but we'll be better next time. That's a way you can address it without throwing your one, you know, an individual player under the bus. Mm -hmm. But instead, he gave this ridiculous answer that I said can't possibly be true. But apparently it was true. He was okay with Sabonis doing what he was doing. And the other players there knew better. Um, and, you know, and it's, you know, I know a lot of people have difficulty trying to decipher the mixed messages because, you know, you have me reporting this and then you'll hear Bjorkren or one of the players saying, oh, it's great and it's okay. Um, that, that's where deciphering information actually, you know, in talking to the right people, not just on record, but you talk to certain people uh, on, on background or off the record, what is it really? And that's when you get real truthful, raw answers. And because it's like, you're insulting my intelligence. Isolating Gobert could not be part of the game plan. And so they went through that kind of stuff a lot during the season. And other people were suffering. Their games were suffering. But Bjorkman was criticizing them. He wouldn't criticize a guy like Sabonis. And Bjorkman in uh, Brogdon, at least early on in the season, they used to sit down and have lunch with each other. Um, and they so, you know, Brogdon had Bjorkman's ear, too, uh, quite a bit. Uh, and so it was a thing where he failed to, if you're not willing to put your best players in line, then, you know, basically everybody else just goes off and plays for themselves too. And that's why uh, I use the word selfish, which was said to me on more than one occasion by more than one person with the team, that they played selfish ball as a result of that. A truly a cringeworthy answer from Bjorkren as it relates to, you know, Sabonis. And, you know, a lot of guys put up career stats this year, but it did not translate to winning. And uh, Alex and I had been extremely vocal that someone needed to hold these guys accountable. It's interesting to hear that, you know, Pritchard tried to be the one to do it. But we've been just so vocal that this team needed a veteran for so long. I mean, the last few seasons it felt like. And you mentioned in your article that, you know, Pritchard even acknowledged it. They, they do need to add a veteran. Do you feel like maybe Brogdon was kind of talking a lot of talk and maybe grew a bit stale because everybody kind of looked to him to be the leader of this team. And it kind of felt like halfway through the season that that was long gone. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that gets back to, do you believe that is Brogdon, is Brogdon going to be the number one voice in the locker room of a winning team? I mean, I, I don't know because I've never been, you know, we've never seen him. I, I mean, I guess the early returns would say no, right? Um, uh, but could could he be a positive voice? Yeah. But is is what you saw more, again, a function of a coach who just allowed everybody to go renegade? <laughs> and if you put the right coach in place, that then he's a better leader and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think 
you know, I think you look at the other thing with Brogdon too, you know, misses a lot of time. Uh, his season was going pretty well until he got that, that hamstring injury. Um, he got hurt. So uh, there, there, I don't think if, if Sabonis and Brogdon are your two best players like they were this year, um, I, I don't really count Levert having a full season with the Pacers. I don't think he counts. I think in an ideal scenario, Levert's one of your two best players. Maybe maybe your third best player if you have a really good champion, you know, a really good contending roster. But if Brogdon and Sabonis, I think they're your two best players, uh, most people will tell you, you know, I had somebody ask me this question. I, I didn't really, I had trouble finding an the answer. They says, take Brogdon and Sabonis. And you take another team who has whoever their two best players are on the 29 other teams. Would you trade the two best players on any of those other teams for some Brogdon and Sabonis? Just on talent and all that other stuff straight up. I had trouble coming up with any answers of who I would make that trade. You know, if I was another team that I would make that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in order for them to be successful with those two as your lead guys, um, they really have to be playing at um, – they really have to be – their leadership has to be at another level. I just don't think it was uh, at all. And uh, and you're so right. I mean, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, what Sabonis had career numbers, Brogdon, T.J. McConnell, Doug McDermott. I, think, I know Justin Holiday did at one point. I can't For remember. Like half the year, he definitely was trending that way. Yeah, and then he tapered off when he, he got a wrist injury around All-Star break that was that was that he kind of kept quiet. That kind of affected him. But, yeah, so you look at all those guys with career seasons and you end up four games under 500. That math doesn't add up. And that really gets back to the leadership problem and the selfishness problem with guys playing for their own numbers or playing, doing things the way they felt like they needed to do them. And they kind of was able to go off script. But only Brogdon and Sabonis were able to do it, I guess, without – uh, without being criticized for it, so um, yeah, it's um, it, it's a it's it's a tough spot. I don't know. I, I don't believe that maybe if those two are your best guys, whether leadership wise or talent wise, I don't think they can get you to the conference finals. Maybe you guys disagree and think you know they can. I, I think it has to be somebody else that they got to find to bring into the mix, or one of those two guys have to make an incredible leap not only in terms of leadership, but also in, in, in talent. Yeah, it's a it's a tough balance there because, I mean, all the players on the starting five are good players, but nobody is like, great. You know, it's, it's what we've talked about, a lot of a lot of C and B-level players, but no A-level player, and you need that A-level player to really be considered a, a serious, you know, contender in the Eastern Conference, especially with how this Eastern Conference is stacking up right now. And I think that's one thing Pritchard's kind of hit on. You know, I think we can compete be a tough out for those teams one through three. But I think he kind of knows with this roster that he has right now, it's going to be hard to get past the second round um, with, with this current roster. So before we get into coaching and stuff like that and candidates and all that, I know you've reported on that as well. I, you, I want to go back to the Savonis conversation just because I think a lot of fans, including us anticipate that he is the one that is safe over, over Turner and Turner is probably the most likely to be traded. Do you anticipate them? changing and trading anybody from the starting five to kind of get a little bit more modern or do you think they try to you know make it work with these guys and and just find a new coach to maybe fix the fix the problems that they had last season you know if it's if Herb is going to have the ultimate say I think it's more the latter uh I think if Kevin has gets his way you're going to see more of the former Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to know where they're going to go with the roster r- real soon when they make the coach or not. 
Um, because if they hire a veteran guy, a guy who, you know, I, I reported Mike Bluenoser already, if he became available, if, they, if Milwaukee moved on from him. Um, if you have a coach like that, you know, Terry Stotts type of guy, that you're looking at a more veteran team because a coach like that isn't going to really come to Indiana if he's going to deal with a rebuilding roster. Um, they're not trying to deal with that, at least not to my knowledge. If they end up going with a younger coach uh, or a guy who has some experience, but, you know, they may want to grow into the role and kind of build build a team with this new coach and this new vision and, and shake up the roster and get all these new players in, uh, you'll see that if they hire um, one of the other names I mentioned was Brian Shaw, uh, who coaches the G League Ignite, um, who they like, who's worked in Indiana briefly, who's been around and has more, even though he wasn't successful in Denver, he's still highly respected. He's a guy who probably could get you good, you know, people around him in terms of staff. So if you believe in a guy like him and you end up hiring a guy like him, I think you there's more potential to see some major moves happen with the roster. I think, um, I think it's hard to, I think the guy you should move on from ideally would be Sabonis, but Turner is the guy that's going to generate the most for whatever you get in the market. Uh, and like I said uh, previously about Sabonis, are more people going to buy season tickets or buy tickets to go see Sabonis or Miles Turner at Bankers Life Fieldhouse or whatever it's going to be named going forward? They're going to pay more money to see Sabonis. And so that's the kind of dilemma I think Herb Simon will find himself in because they know what all the metrics say in terms of ticket sales. And that, that factors in, you know, with a small market team more so than it would with any big market. Yeah, it definitely does. And I do think that there are moves on the horizon. Moves have to occur. But, you know, some of the fan base feels that the Pacers likely don't fire Bjorkman without, you know, maybe having something potentially lined up, which led a lot of us to feel like Terry Stotts could be the guy. Do you think the Pacers kind of knew the direction they were going when they fired Bjorkman? Or was it, hey, you know, he's got to go and we'll take it from there? He's got to go. Man, you, they'll figure that stuff out later. There'll be more coaches come onto the market. Everybody's talking about Terry, Terry Stotts because he's the first name guy to leave, get fired from the team or, or become a free agent. If, if the first coach with a name to come free was was Budenholzer, they'll be talking about Budenholzer. I don't, I don't really buy into that that much. That because of that, that means and Stotts. Don't get me wrong, Stotts is is a viable candidate, but I know for a fact Kevin Pritchard really likes Budenholzer. Um, really likes him now. Would Budenholzer want the job? I don't know. He might not even want the job if he becomes a free agent himself. Or, um, but I know he is on the short list. When I say short list, I mean he would automatically be in the top two candidates for the Pacers for that job if he hit the market. But if they don't think he's going to hit the market and they're not, you know, and there's no need in waiting, then they'll make the move. They'll make the move sooner rather than later. But uh, I, I, you know, as with every offseason, you're going to see different coaches hit the market, not just head coaches on some of these other teams, but, you know, some of their staff who are now currently in the playoffs who you're interested in talking to. Um, you may not be able to talk to them right now, and you need to wait until things shake out there. Um, but so Stotts is a viable guy, but I think Bjorkman was such a train wreck. Um, uh, TBA was a better hire than any than keeping Bjorkman in that spot. You'd rather go TBA, we'll figure it out later, is a better option right now than Nate Bjorkren as the head coach. How, um, I got to ask, because I think Chauncey Billups is a name that's been kind of 
rumored all over the place for, for coaching Canada season. I'm just curious how, you know, how do the Pacers view a guy like that that has never been a head coach, but a former player who had one year of assistant coaching this year under his belt? Do you think that that's a route they go, or do they want someone with more experience? If the roster, I'll go back to what I said, if they if they keep a veteran roster, they want a veteran coach. But, I mean, Chauncey Billups checks one box immediately that uh, Bjorkman couldn't, which is relationships with players before he even walks through the door. Uh, you know, he's already on good terms with guys like Brogdon. Um, you know, so, you know, if you, last year when the whole coaching search was going on, I pretty much, my opinion was, if – I think a lot of people confuse when I say what my opinion is versus what the reporting and the facts say. My opinion is if I'm going to take a gamble on a coach who doesn't have any experience, but you want somebody new, fresh, uh, who can form good relationships with players, he would be the opposite of McMillan. And you want to really take a, a swing, Billups would have been my choice. I knew Billups wasn't their number one choice, but he was he was one of the you know five, three to five finalists that they had in mind. Um, but Billups would have been my pick because he was my pick. Doesn't mean I'm saying that the Pacers were going to take him. Never said that. He would have just been my pick. If I was going to miss, I'd rather you got. I'd rather the whole NBA universe ridicule me for having hired Chauncey Billups for the job and failed than hire Nate Bjork. That's kind of was my mindset. Um, so I think a, a guy like Billups has potential. The problem is the experience isn't there. If you keep a veteran roster now. I think if you believe you can get an A-plus staff to put around a guy like that, then maybe that's the move that you make. If you can get some, some, some name coaches to sit behind them, the way Mike D'Antoni came to sit behind Steve Nash, then that's, that's, that's a very viable option here. I don't think they'll go that route. Uh, Billups interviewed, uh, when he interviewed with the Pacers last year, uh, I was told that um, he, was, he knew he wasn't going to get the job, but he did the interview anyway. Uh, because he wanted the experience, but he knew that he wasn't the number one choice. Uh, and I had another person tell me that he felt like it really was a token interview um, and uh, j j believed that the Pacers had already made up their mind that they were going to hire Bjorkren. Uh, you know, several people who the Pacers talked to in terms of when they were backgrounding and checking on Bjorkren before they made the hire um, felt like, their minds really were, they were making it seem like they weren't sure what they were going to do, but their minds had already been made up that they were in a Bjorkman camp. And I think Billups believed that as well. Uh, so I don't think Billups would end up on the short list this year. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know right now at this moment. Um, but um, I think ideally he would have been the higher last year. That's the guy. I think, I think if you swing and miss with Billups, I don't think you get the backlash for that hire that you get for a no-name guy like Bjorkman. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So, Jay, we're starting to hear a couple of names linked to some other jobs. Like I heard Kenny Atkinson's interviewing for the Orlando Magic job. Becky Hammond's name starting to come up. Dan Tony has interest in the Trailblazers. Uh, you know, I know you mentioned Brian Shaw and, you know, Budenholzer. If he's let go, is there any other names that you're hearing that could be some serious candidates for the Pacers next hiring? I haven't heard any other names that I would take seriously at the moment. Uh, being, you know, going back to what I said to you guys previously, um, a lot of the early stuff I find to be misdirection when it comes to coaching hires. Um, coaching hires become a much more, their teams are much more clandestine about their moves with coaches than it is with free agents with players. Um, but uh, I haven't heard any other names that would, uh, I could say definitely would be on a, a short list of some sort, just the, the ones that I have, uh, Stotts, Budenholzer, and um, Brian Shaw. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's, this, this is a tricky time because I just always find, if you look at some of the early list of who the Pacers were supposedly talking to or interested in, and see where they were in the in the in the uh, the final uh, the final rundown when they kind of pared down their list. Most of those players were uh, coaches, coaching candidates weren't on there. So I haven't gotten anything new on that. I think that's going to eventually eventually shake out. And then at and at the same time, I really wouldn't be confident that any of it is is, is totally accurate because they lie about coaching, not lie, but mislead about direction and where they're going with coaching more than anything else when it comes to uh hires in basketball that's a tricky one yeah so and in, in part of your report you did mention some teams that have had or that have inquired about miles turner you mentioned the knicks lakers clippers hornets and pelicans and you went on to say that the t wolves and the hornets really want turner like really do that's a quote that i uh <laughs> stole from your twitter i'm just i'm just curious because you know, we, when I ask you about making significant changes or making a trade, do you think that trading Turner alone is making a significant move and shaking things up a lot? Or do you think it's more so like a minor move uh, just to kind of retool a little bit with the with the core four of Brogdon, Sabonis, TJ Warren, and Karis LeVert? And I think if you trade Turner, um, you're significantly changing your defensive concepts and who you are defensively. I, I think if you trade Turner, I'm trading a couple other pieces to 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 um, to, to change the complexion of the team. Um, I think a lot, you know, because is, is Goga going to be the rim protector that Turner is? I mean, off the bench, he can give you spot duty in that regard, but I'm not going to rely on him to be my defensive stopper night in and night out against A-list kind of guys. Um so, no, nah, I think if you moved on from Turner, um, you know, I, I think it would be probably – Turner would be a centerpiece of the deal, but I think it would require other pieces to kind of rebuild the team in the image that you want it. And, you know, Charlotte – you know, Charlotte has been – I asked – when I said that the T-Wolves and, and, and uh, Hornets really like them, that actually came from uh, a couple of conversations I had earlier in that day uh, with people who told me what they, what they thought about Miles Turner. There's a lot of teams that like Turner. Like, you know, 
I mentioned the Lakers and all that stuff. They really want to, you know, they kicked the tires on on Turner at the trade deadline, seeing they could get him away from the Pacers. Who wouldn't? I mean, if you're a championship level team trying to get there, if you can, you know, get rid of your so-so center and put Miles Turner in there, sure, you would, you would get him. The question is, who's willing to plunk down assets to acquire him? And that team, from what I gather right now, is Charlotte. And it's been, it's been the case that it's been Charlotte for a while. Um, you know, they, they're still smarting over passing over him for Frank Kaminsky. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and why wouldn't it? And uh, I think because they know that they missed out big time, even if you don't think Turner's all that great, he's much better than Frank Kaminsky. And um, I think you might be able to leverage a little bit more from them. You know, it'd be kind of weird. Wouldn't it be kind of weird if you ended up getting Gordon Hayward through a deal for Miles Turner through Charlotte? That would be cool. <laughs> but um, I don't. I'm not saying that that would be the move they would make. But PJ Washington, as I've reported before, is the guy that they really like. Um, uh, the Pacers really like, really like PJ Washington. Uh, could you get PJ Washington, Terry Rozier type of deal, and you know, for Turner and some other assets, and you know. I guess you still would be missing a shot blocker, a starting shot blocker if you did that. But, um, uh, I, you know, th- there's so much interest in Turner now. And it's kind of funny because after the, the the deal with the Celtics fell through and then, you know, a per- I believe it was Danny Ainge who was pushing this narrative that they never really wanted Turner to begin with because he didn't have a lot of trade market value. It made me fall over my chair laughing like that. You know, that that's a way of covering your ass that you botched the deal. But, um, the interest surrounding Miles Turner uh, since that point and up to now says the exact opposite. There's a lot of interest in him. The question is, who's going to actually go that extra step beyond we really are interested in talking about him and making a deal to actually putting something on the table and trying to make a tangible move to get him? You know, obviously that hasn't happened yet, but that's what they're waiting to find out. What can they actually get in a deal? before they kind of go down that path of, okay, let's, let's move them because they haven't gotten that yet. They haven't gotten any type of names put on the table on what they could get for Turner in return. Alex and I have been in agreement for quite some time that we just feel that Turner fits so many more teams than Sabonis does. And it just, while their their money is very comparable, it just feels like uh, it's far more likely to be able to pull off a deal for Turner than it is for Sabonis at this point. But um, two other guys that are going to be free agents. I mean, the Pacers outside of the mid-level exception, they have very limited room to work with this offseason. And between Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell, do you think either is coming back? And if so, which one? Uh, McConnell. I think I so, think too. McConnell's the more like, I, I, you know, I, I've talked to, I've been talking to people about this for a while. Um, it's going to be the Pacers realize they're in an either or position with those two. And if you're going to end up keeping Sabonis, you might as well. Um, if you're going to keep Sabonis, uh, you would think you would keep Doug McDermott because the two of them play so well off of each other. Um, and so that would be like, hey, that's that's one in the in the corner of Doug McDermott on why he stays. The problem is McDermott's going to command more money in the free agent market than TJ McConnell. Uh, that he's going to get more competitive, higher offers that the Patriots, Pacers aren't willing to match. Uh, than T.J. McConnell, even at the trade deadline. If you just go off of what happened at the trade deadline, uh, I don't think a single call was made on behalf of any team trying to get T.J. McConnell off of the Pacers. 
the phone was ringing off the hook with productive young. And I think the Pacers realized that uh, as good as Doug is, you know, his, his him playing well is contingent on having Domas. You know, we know what he looks like when Sabonis isn't on the floor. Uh, McConnell is going to be cheaper. So, you know, they really like that part, <laughs> that he's going to cost less. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's more – the hustle, the lack of hustle, the lack of effort, and the lack of grit that you saw in this group during long stretches, particularly in the second half of the season. Um, T.J. McConnell wasn't one of those guys that you could lecture for not playing hard. Um, he always played hard. And um, you know, uh, and so he's kind of more uh, part of the identity that they're hoping to – reestablish so in a way he's more important to the kind of culture they want to have or bring back the kind of style they want to have the kind of grit whereas Doug McDermott is seen more as a luxury item he's really good to have especially with his three-point shooting but you can he's not necessary and I think McConnell aside from being less expensive is seen is seen as being more of a necessary asset for them based on, I think he's more valuable to the Pacers, TJ McConnell, than he would be to 29 other teams. Yeah. And I agree with that, but I also wonder because Aaron holiday is a Pacers first round draft pick from a few years ago. And obviously he did have a up and down season last year under Bjorkren. What is the Pacers, you know, stance on, on Aaron holiday going forward. And do you think that, you know, this could be the end of the road for him with the Pacers. I, look, going into the season when, you know, um, you know, the whole thing about the Gordon Hayward trade and Boston wanted another piece. And Aaron Holiday was a player they resist. They would not put in that deal. Um, they've been high on Aaron Holiday for, you know, for a while now. But I think when we go into next season, they, they have to spit or get off the pot when it comes to that. Um, to me, if you're going to say Aaron Holiday is the guy, then maybe you should let T.J. McConnell walk and keep McDermott instead. But I don't think you can have T.J. McConnell and Aaron Holiday coming off that bench. Um, I, I just don't – I don't – I see that as bad for both sides. Holiday, what, he shot less than 40% from the field this year. Um, less than – like he had shot 40% from three the previous seasons. I think he was way under 40% this year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his, his efficiency just tapered off. Um, obviously he had the toe injury to end the season, which, you know, he didn't end it strongly, but I just don't think, I think he has to be put in a situation like, um, I think the ceiling for him, and it's not a bad ceiling is Lou Williams type of guy. He's a guy you bring in the game, you play 15 to 17 minutes. If he gets hot, he can get you 15, 18 points in, in that period of time and help you win a game. But if he gets out there and he's cold, you gotta, you probably got to bench him right away. Like, I think that's the role where he maximizes. And I don't think the Pacers have necessarily used him the right way. And I think be, in part because of the log jam that's created with the way T.J. McConnell has played the last two seasons is part of that. So they got to make a decision, in my opinion, which way they want to go with that. And I'm not – I remember coming into this past season, I expected Aaron Holiday to request a trade uh, from the Pacers. Uh, he changed agents. And so that didn't happen. I don't know if that was part of the reason why that didn't happen, but I think now after you saw him under Bjorkman and um, 
even though it was Bjorken under that one season, I think he wants to play some, I don't think, I'm pretty confident he wants to play somewhere else. Will it come to the point to where he will come there and make a demand? I don't know. Or, but if, even if that doesn't happen, I think the Pacers need to look at what they can do to get him in a better situation and obviously to better their own situation. Cause I think he's growing stale as he sits there and we're not really able to see what he can be. I think he's a better player than what he showed this season under Bjork. And I expected actually him to be one of the few guys, one of the guys that would benefit from Bjork coming in, but that turned out not to be the case. I think we all had, you know, higher expectations for um, Aaron Holiday coming into this year. I mean, obviously from a trade value standpoint, there was a lot of talks that the Pacers could have gotten a first round pick in previous years for him. And then when you talked about potentially, you know, asking for a trade, I wasn't sure if maybe it was his group that was putting out some feelers when saying that the Pacers could look at trading Aaron Holiday or taking calls, but no deal ended up happening. Um, one player whose you know, season started late and ended prematurely, Jeremy Lamb. He's still trying to recover from that ACL tear and uh, at $10.5 million expiring. Do you see him on the roster to start next season? I would say ideally he wouldn't be. I think he, again, I think – I think he's a luxury item that you could do. He's nice to have, um, but he's one that you could, you know, you could you could replace. The problem that you're going to have with that, I know he's expiring, um, and that makes his contract. And it's not an albatross sort of contract, anyway. It's not like you're paying him twenty-five million dollars a year or something. Um, I think, I think a team that's that's really good that needs another score, a microwave type of guy. The kind of guy I think Aaron Holiday could ideally be one of those guys that come off the bench and just like get you buckets. I think he's very valuable uh, for for an established veteran team that's that's contending. Uh, but the question is, where exactly is his leg? Because you know he tore that leg. That's the one where he broke the bones and tore the ligaments in. And maybe he's too damaged goods right now to where he, there's no value for him right now out there. Like you could trade for him as an expiring. Maybe that's that that's what he is. But um, I think that injury is kind of handicapped uh, his, his ability to garner interest uh, unless your sole reason is to acquire him as a expiring and maybe wave, him, wave him and pay him to go away and, and open that salary slot. But um, as a guy who can contribute for a team right now that can win, uh, I, I don't know. I think that that injury kind of puts a lot in the question because that was a pretty significantly um, you know he got banged up pretty badly and I was surprised he didn't play again during the season um, I thought he was going to come back at any point that tells me that his the recurrence of whatever issues he was having is, is pretty was pretty major yeah and I and I want to talk about another guy that was injured for most of the season that's TJ Warren this is the guy that had an amazing bubble and when he came back this year just did not look right and then ended up having the surgery and you know, there was a report from Jake Fisher from Bleach Report saying that he had requested a trade. And I think that was shot down by TJ and multiple sources that he did not request a trade. And, you know, he was in the know with with Pritchard on the Bjorken hire and all that kind of stuff. But Kevin Pritchard really praised TJ Warren in his end of season presser. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on how you think this organization views TJ Warren, especially heading into a contract year uh, this upcoming season. They love TJ because TJ is a guy that they got for nothing from Phoenix, and he actually wants to be in Indiana. 
Uh, he's not a guy who was coming off of a great season and decided he wanted to leverage his way out and go to a bigger market. Um, so, you know, you don't find too many guys like that <laughs> um, around the league. So they, they, they really value him for that reason. Um, yeah. You know, the, the report you were referencing like that, that same day, I, I talked to four people with direct knowledge of what happened, what went down with TJ. I think I put that out on Twitter I'm I'm pretty confident uh, based off of who I've talked to. T.J. Warren never requested a trade uh, from Indiana. Um, he's but you know when things go sideways in a season, um, then everything just starts to kind of spill out. And I think some signals may have gotten crossed. Maybe they confused him. With I was told early on that um, Sabonis had requested a trade, which uh, I didn't report it. So, uh, but uh, I was that that there was. That was being said a lot. Uh, the same people who were saying that also said TJ Warren had requested a trade and I knew Sabonis had not. So the information that was being dispensed was not even firsthand. And so I think somehow it just kind of snowballed into something more uh, than what it was. Uh, and, and leave and, you know, of course, being a reporter that I am, players are always gonna deny something is true that doesn't look good. So I, whether TJ requested a trade or not, I expected him to say it wasn't true. A certain other player said stuff I reported about him wasn't true and it was 100% true. So public denials aren't necessarily proof of anything either. And that's where people get fooled. Like somebody denies it publicly. Oh, see, therefore it's telling the truth. Bullcrap. There's plenty of things that have been denied publicly. Like I didn't have sex with that woman. Like, but we know it happened, right? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people deny stuff publicly all the time. I made a report on Aaron Holiday in his rookie year being almost traded to Memphis. And I think, I think Kevin denied that it was true publicly on Twitter. It was true. Okay. So that trade fell through only because Herb Simon didn't let it go through that that deal was done. So for Mike Conley to come to Indy. So, so take, and that's why signals get crossed a lot because people don't understand or don't realize, you know, just because somebody did that doesn't make it fact. But when it came to TJ, uh, there were enough people uh, who I know, who I talk to directly. But also, if you know T.J. Warren, his, you know, I met T.J. when he was 15 years old, uh, training, uh, playing in the AAU program for David West called Garner Road. And back then, he barely ever said two words. T.J.'s personality, he's not that kind of dude. He's not the kind of guy that's going to go to management and say, I want out or this person needs to be fired. If you know anything about him, his personality, that, that's completely, you know, that's completely against anything. That's like somebody telling you they saw me eating pizza with pineapples on it. If you know me, you know that's not true. You don't even have to, you know, I find that absolute putting fruit on pizza is disgusting. It never would happen. Preach. You never ask another question about it. Same, same thing with TJ. That's not in his DNA to do that, number one. Um, he was unhappy with Nate McMillan being fired because of his relationship with McMillan, both from Raleigh, North Carolina, both went to NC State. Nate is tight with his, knows his dad and came up playing basketball with his dad, Tony Sr. Uh, but uh, he's not the kind of guy, I, I don't, I never got from, I, I don't think TJ Warren loved Bjorkman. I'm not even sure if he liked him, but he didn't dislike him enough to say, I want out of here because you hired him. And that's a completely different thing. But the franchise loves him uh, because of his commitment and willingness to play defense, 
Um, he has kind of that, you know, when I talk about TJ McConnell, that kind of attitude that they want to have on the team to help build that kind of culture. I think TJ Warren has that kind of attitude and grit. And so they want to keep guys like that. And he think he fits. And TJ Warren knows that if, when he, when, if he wants to get paid, that Indiana can pay him and Indiana wants to pay him. And unless somehow the Pacers say lowball him and say they don't want to do the right thing to pay him whatever he thinks his value is, as long as Indiana's willing to pay him, and I think the Pacers are, then he's going to stay. Uh, so we know that T.J. Warren someone who doesn't speak often, but when he does, it packs a punch, like when he refuted the trade rumors that came out. And we have to know the fan base loves him. Front office speaks very highly of him. Uh, he's entering a contract here, just like we talked about. Wants to be here. Pacers want him. Do you think the Pacers might try and get ahead on it and sign to a long-term deal before the season, or is that just too risky given his injury history? I think they're going to try to do it before the season. Um, that That's a hunch. I don't know that for a fact at this moment, but I think they're going to try to get ahead of it. Um, you know, th- this is a franchise that can't wait. They're in a tough spot because, again, guys like him, if you let him become a, a free agent, then, you know, you never know what can happen there. And the Pacers are always up against the eight ball in the free agent market to get guys of T.J. Warren's caliber or better. So I think they're going to go uh, with Bird in hand. If he's willing to, 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 to make a move now uh, and resign or, or, or get an extension or whatever it may be, they want to get that done sooner rather than later. I mean, the foot injury, I, I don't, the foot injury takes the kind of foot injury he has. The issue isn't so much that they're worried that it's going to be a long-term thing, but that it, that injury he has takes so long to heal because of the placement of the injury, because it's hard to get blood flow there. It's more about that than it is, wow, he could have a recurrence and maybe he will be hurt the rest of his career. I don't think they have, based off of uh, the diagnoses that they've made on TJ, that's not a concern for the team. Uh, so uh, as a result of that, plus TJ wanting to be here, in getting this out of the way, I think they're more just like they made the deal when they traded when they traded uh, 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 Paul when, when Kevin Pritchard traded Paul George when he traded Oladipo. Seems to be his mo is to to make the move if you believe in the move instead of waiting it out just just make it sooner rather than later. Yeah, and so one of my last questions here for you, Jay. It's really just talking about this upcoming draft, and I know the draft lottery is in a couple weeks, and. Pacer fans are excited to see where they'll end up picking if it's not 13th, but how do you think the franchise values this upcoming draft? What, can you ask that one more time? How do, how do you think the franchise values this upcoming draft pick? Oh, I think they value it uh, very highly, um, much, much more than they did the previous draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I think, I think – and the funny thing about this draft too is, like, this is probably – the draft I'm entering because I'm trying to catch up to speed because I'm completely in the dark about half this draft (laughs) (laughs) because of the way, how crazy the season has been. Like everything is off. I've been off schedule. I'm, you know, my, my timing is off and when I normally watch things, but no, I think they value, they value this draft um, probably more. The, The one of the reasons why, you know, like say back in March, um, I think I reported that, when the, if the Pacers are going to make a trade at the deadline, they were going to trade for somebody who could help them right now, like a veteran guy. They weren't trying to get future picks because that wasn't going to really move the needle. 
I, I think that's been the case probably the last, maybe the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now when they're looking at, you know, kind of, uh, if you're looking at shaking things up a little bit, um, I think they value this draft coming up a little bit more. And, um, and you know, can they, can they find, you know, can they find that rookie that, I mean, most rookies, as we know, picked where the Pacers are going to end up picking at least this rookie will might end up being more NBA ready than where they picked before. What 23 ran holiday 18 with Goga Pataze that, you know, getting in a little bit draft, better draft position is going to help him uh, maybe get a more NBA ready player. So I think as a result, they value this one uh, a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I was going to say just to echo that, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. If they did make that, you know, Hornets trade, because I know that you said they're really high on P.J. Washington. Getting a draft pick and hitting on it, you know, a younger guy, maybe 19, 20 in this year's draft, and, you know, having a little bit of a young core in a P.J. Washington and in this draft pick, if they hit on it, that kind of sets them up future-wise in case they feel like, hey, they've reached the ceiling with this team over the next two years. Now they can start building around P.J. Washington in this draft pick. Yeah, um, no doubt about it. And, you know, the other player who I would throw in that mix who I'm, I'm curious what they end up doing with this offseason is uh, is Cassius Stanley. Mm-hmm. Uh, another young guy who a lot of people thought was a steal, who basically did not play nearly enough on a team four games under 500. Oh, uh, yeah. I think they're actually high on him. Um uh, and yeah, so yeah, I would actually, I'm actually curious about that in terms of the draft. So yeah, I, look, I, I really like PJ Washington. Um, uh, I think, yeah, that could, that could start them off going into another direction. Uh, if you're able to, and you have a lot of wings, cause think about it. Like I did, you would have what PJ Washington, uh, you'd have a TJ Warren, uh, who else you got guys who could play Levert, Levert. So you have a, a whole bunch of guys who are interchangeable. You could play a lot of small ball. PJ Washington played a lot of five in Charlotte and did a hell of a good job at it too. Cause he yeah, yeah. Really long. Really did. Yeah. He's a good pick. He's actually a good pick and roll defender switching uh, on smaller guys. Uh, you know, he's not the most athletic fastest guy in the world, but I think he gauges his timing and distance pretty well. Uh, I, I love a guy like that. I think if you were to move off of a miles Turner, even though Washington isn't going to be the rim protector, but I think, you have I, I like the diversity of the roster if you do that. And yeah, and if you hit on a draft pick, that that really moves you up a few notches. Um, and I, I really believe I mentioned Cassius Stanley only because I think a disservice was done in terms of not getting more of a look of, at him because I don't know what he is, but I think he potentially could be one of those guys that could end up when you remake the team who could maybe have a significant role. I could be wrong. But Bjorkren didn't really do it. I mean, there were games where the Pacers were losing by 40 and Cassius Stanley played like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a bonus played 40. <laughs> yeah. So I think – so I, and I think that kind of – that – I know um, I know the front office wasn't crazy about that, about they wanted to, they wanted to see more of Cassius Stanley too. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that could really springboard you into the future – uh, being able to build a team, but you have to hit on a draft pick, and that's not always a guarantee. Yeah, it's not, but I, I really do think that this draft class, from what I've done with talking to other people, just kind of getting a feel for it, I really do feel like 
you know, having a lottery pick in this year's draft, you could land somebody special, but you know, they say that every year. So, all right, Jay, well, we're going to, we're going to wrap this up. Did you have anything you wanted to plug as far as article wise? Man, I'm taking some time off, man. (laughs) I figured it's been a long year, man. This is, I feel really beat up run down. This season was tough. And I think maybe if the Pacers had a better year, it would have been easier. But there was so much drama and there's so much crap to wade through. It actually made it it made it made harder. And if, if you listen to any of the post-game um, interviews that they did via Zoom, uh, like sometimes you rarely hear me ask a question. Uh, sometimes I never ask anything. Even at Pritchard's final press uh, Zoom call of the season, I listened in because there's nothing else – Unless somebody bring, unless something comes up that's new that I don't already know about, it's like, what else new can I hear? It's like the same crap, I almost said another word, all the time, especially after some of those losses. I I was like, what's the point of me even pressing Bjorken on this issue or that issue? It doesn't matter. He's not going to say anything. It's the same old stuff, you know. And as a result, it became a, the last month was a real drag. So I hope to not do anything on the Pacers here at least for the next month so I can recharge. Uh, but I think they'll probably make a coach and hire by then. So maybe I'll have to jump in and do something. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah what, do you, what do you anticipate that uh, hire being within the next couple of weeks or, or what do you think? Yeah. I mean, before the, I think before the draft, I can't wait, what day is the draft? See, I should, I should. It's I, July I, 29th, I believe. So we've got a month and a half. Yeah. So they got time and they know that. Um, so me saying before the draft is still a long period of time. Right, but, right. Uh, I think whenever we find out Budenholzer's future, unless they already know they can't get him, if they know regardless of what happens with Milwaukee, Bud isn't interested in coaching the Pacers, there's another job he's interested in, or they, or financially they're not going to be in the same ballpark as what Bud's demanding, then they'll just move on and, and, and move on to what else. That, but I know they really want a chance to talk to him and explore that opportunity if he's willing to do so. Uh, and uh, and I think a lot could 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 depend on that. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if they made a, a hire in the next week or two. But you know, um, uh, you know, but stranger things have happened. But I, I expected to take. I, I'm looking at maybe three weeks out uh, or something like that uh, when something happens. It's hard to predict with these things. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was two months before the firing and hiring of a. Uh or two months in between the firing and hiring of old Nate to new Nate. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I do think that those dates are important in terms of the draft and, and trying to figure out your roster heading into the draft. So anyway, Jay, thank you so much for coming on and going on lengthy with us. We really appreciate it. No problem guys. Anytime. All right, Fachi. So pretty lengthy episode there with Jay Michael, but thought it was very insightful. It definitely learned a lot. I mean, this was a strange year. I mean, there was a lot less media access than ever before. So Jay was really, you know, dropping some very interesting tidbits here, uh, left and right. And it, it just sounds like at the end of the day, the Pacers had to move on from Nate Bjorkren, make a change. And it sounds like there's going to be more changes to come. Yeah, just not sure. I was really intrigued by what he had to say about Charlotte having a ton of interest in Miles Turner. And then going all the way back to the 2015 draft, and they selected Frank Kaminsky over him with the uh, ninth ninth pick, I believe, when they had that in the draft because Justice Winslow went 10th yep. to the Miami Heat. So, yeah, I mean, I get why Charlotte would be really interested in Miles Turner. If the Pacers could somehow get P.J. Washington 
in that deal, I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think Pacer fans understand why the uh, the Pacers might have to change it up a little bit just because playing two centers in today's NBA is just a really hard thing to, you know, do successfully. I think the Pacers have done an okay job with it, but at the end of the day, their on-off numbers just glare and scream at you, hey, we are better with just one center. It's true. I mean, like I said numerous times, it's different for a reason. It's run its course. We've done four years with the Turbonis, you know, duo. And I think at this point, you know what? It's time for a change. Absolutely. So hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back later this week. We have some more mock trade scenarios for you guys. We were going to tie one in with this episode, but with it being pretty lengthy, we will save that for another day. We have a really cool one with a Charlotte Hornets guy. So we'll be talking all things Pacers Hornets in a mock trade. Fachi played Chad Buchanan and our guest played Mitch Kupchak for the uh, Charlotte Hornets. So that'll be a really fun conversation. But Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex golden NBA. You could find me on Twitter at underscore F a C C I. And you could find us on Instagram at Pacers talk. And at the end of the day, we all know what you are. So stand up and say these three words. Let's go Pacers. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.